Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham Spike for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show, show, show. Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Hour number two on this Monday. Glad to have you here. Check everything out at tcmartinshow.com. Appreciate Brett Rapkin, the director of The Weight of Gold. It's a fantastic documentary on HBO Max right now. That'll be up on the interview page. Uh, we'll get everything else uh, caught up uh, later today as well, too. So all there for you. And uh, thanks to, again, Ballpark Frank and Clayton Hamilton. Chris Wynn for filling in for me last Thursday and Friday. Appreciate that. And Clayton's excited now because he was really looking forward to the baseball competition, and it started last night, and it counted. Started off with a bang with Japan and USA. I have a feeling they might be facing each other again down the road. Yeah, and, uh, Japan defeating USA. And uh, not working out well for the American teams at all, except, of course, the basketball teams. And we know that you know the ladies' three-on-three, congratulations to Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young for bringing home the gold in the women's three-on-three. The American team did not even qualify for the Olympics. They decided not to go with NBA players, where the three-on-three women decided to go with the, uh, the WNBA players. But uh, we saw earlier today that the USA women's soccer team, uh, really arguably maybe next to the USA women basketball team, the most dominant of Olympic uh, you know, competition in years past, well, didn't happen. And they are eliminated. Team USA eliminated in soccer. Canada defeats USA one to nothing. Uh, game-winning goal and a penalty kick in the 75th minute. They failed to reach the gold medal game for the second consecutive Olympiad after reaching the gold medal game in the five previous Olympics. And it also snapped a 36-game unbeaten streak. And they haven't lost to Canada in 20 years. Last time was 2001. And when you look at this tournament, it just, I don't know about you, but it just seemed like this USA women's soccer team just never got going you can probably blame the age, and people are going to be blaming the age. The average age of this team is 31. You've got people that are in their upper 30s you know, on this team. I think they were more concentrated on trying to preserve minutes, and you never had any team cohesiveness. The team chemistry wasn't good. And when you play like that, like Megan Rapinoe, we'll go, we're going to you know, bring her in you know, off the bench and sub, and we're trying to manage minutes. It doesn't work out that way. And the other thing, too, is... We know they have a, a target on their back, and they get everyone's best shot. But you got to be better than this because, I mean, they either scored one goal or no goals in in several games. Well, not only that, but they got out to a terrible start when they Sweden shut them out right at three yep. nothing in the first game. They all of a sudden looked vulnerable. You mentioned no chemistry, no cohesiveness. There also wasn't a fire under them. 
There just wasn't any life. It looked like they were just going through the motions out there. Uh, The game against Australia, when they both knew, well, if we get a draw, that's all we need to get in the next round. Neither one of them played to win. You've got to go out there with that fire. That was a statement game that they could have gone out and said, we're going to beat them here and show, yeah, we know we're going to the next round anyhow, but let's really go ahead and make a statement and let other people fear us again. There was nothing to fear. They won the one game before this one in in the penalty kicks at the end of regulation in the overtime and that, which, of course, they don't do in the in the regular games. Uh, but once it starts to the knockout rounds and that, th- there was never any like sense of urgency or anything else. This team was completely flat, and it finally caught up with them. Even the New Zealand game, which was their second game after they lost 3 nothing to Sweden, they, they did... They added goals at the end, the last few minutes. New they, Zealand scored two of themselves. Exactly. They had two own goals. Exactly. So they, you're right. They looked... Tired. They looked non-energetic. There was no joy in this team, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stories coming out here in the next few weeks. And they're going to talk about, well, you know, yeah, we just, you know, didn't have the love of the game. We didn't have it, and this and that. But uh, you know, maybe they played better teams too here because, unlike a lot of these Olympic teams, we talked about this last week too. Some of these teams came in here without playing any exhibition games because of COVID. USA played like five, six games, but they didn't play very good teams. And, you know, when you're facing teams like Sweden and even Canada, who's much better now, you know, it seems like they they got better competition here and they just failed against them. It was it was very lackluster, very disappointing. And you know what's going to happen now? I mean, you know, they're going to go youth movement, just like we've seen the German team doing the men's side and some of these others. I mean, when you lose in embarrassing fashion, and this is embarrassing fashion, to not score goals and to lose to Canada one nothing in the semifinal, and your favor to win the gold medal. I mean, you've you've got to perform better than this. And yeah, maybe that is the problem that they went too old here and they tried to be too conservative with some of these these minutes. I, I look for a major turnaround here, a major turnover, and, and go youth movement from here on out. Well, I think they need some kind of major turnover and, and turnaround. They, they definitely need to do something because, like we said, there's there's a lot of questions in this team right now, and I don't think they were nearly offensive enough. They weren't aggressive. They laid back. It almost seemed like, roll the ball out. We're the USA. We're going to win. But after the Sweden game to start this Olympics off, nobody had an intimidation factor. Maybe New Zealand did a little bit. But even Australia, Australia's not that good. They didn't trounce New Zealand. They had a draw with them, 0-0. That's not the way to get in anybody's head and going, oh, we have to play the USA. They go, hey, we get to play a beatable USA team out here. Canada at halftime walking off that field looked like we got the better opportunities and we know that their number one goalie's out. When they were walking off the field at halftime, I thought, this is going to be a tough game for the USA. And it was, and they lose one nothing, eliminated in the semifinals. All right, let's bring in our good friend Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. Matt, what's going on, my friend? TC, you're talking about that Canada upset, uh, plus 450. That's the number you could have got on wow. team to pull the upset in regulation. Wow. Well, look at that. And USA, heavy favorites. I mean, and really all of the team sports. And we see it in the men's and the women's basketball. We, we saw it in soccer as well, too. And uh, the, the dogs came barking. And we go back to that first game that we talked about with Sweden. Sweden was a big dog against uh, Team USA in soccer, too. Absolutely. And you're right, we are seeing some big, you know, basketball is kind of the one area we are seeing the big spread still. USA, uh, a 15-point favorite over Australia in the women's side in their next game. 
And on the men's side, a 12-and-a-half to 13-point favorite over France uh, tonight. All right. So USA-France, which they've already played, you know, that was that was their opener, and now but they're going to go again, right? It's actually Spain tonight. I'm Spain, sorry. that's right. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Because, yeah, so the Spain tonight, and then they get into the knockout round. And that's where, you know, Team USA, the, the women are right now. And you, and after tonight's game against Spain, that's where the, the men go. No, I think it's knockout round for both. I think we're quarterfinals for both now. Okay, well, I know that, the, the yeah, you're right. Because the, te- the USA women were wait- awaiting their opponent to see who they were going to play after their their victory over, over France, their 11-point victory uh, yesterday. So they're, they were waiting to see who they're going to play. And like you said, now I, I believe uh, – that has been announced that it's going to be Australia, correct? Yes, and USA is a 15-point favorite, and I think the bracket sets really sets up really well for them to win gold. If they win, they'll get the winner of a pick-em match between China and Serbia, and they won't have to face France or Spain until the final. And we've got to give a shout-out to our girl, Asia Wilson, 22 points in, uh, in, in the game against France where the USA improved to 3-0 in pool play. 93-82, uh, Asia really has looked like the best player on this team. And for the reigning MVP, you know, you know, only you know, three years as a pro, uh, you know, Las Vegas Aces fans very, very excited about what they're seeing with her. And it'll be interesting to see the betting handle on this. So tonight we have the men's at about 9.45 p.m. Pacific time. Tomorrow night we have the women's at around 9.45 p.m. Pacific time. It'll be, see, it'll be interesting to see how the betting handle on both of these games do. The betting handle on basketball has pretty much far exceeded every other sport in the wagering, uh, at least in the wagering realms during these Olympics. That time zone difference is having a huge effect on betting because most of the televised coverage people are watching isn't actually happening live because of, you know, it's in the middle of the night over here. And thus, if people can't watch it, they don't tend to bet on it. And I think you uh, universally here across not just Nevada, but throughout all the states with regulated sports betting, what we're seeing is a fairly disappointing Olympic wagering in terms of expectations, especially on sports like soccer and tennis and golf, which are historically huge numbers and big, huge global sports. Those really haven't done very well. The only one that has is basketball, so it'll be interesting to see what the wagering handles like tonight. For the men, tomorrow night for the women. Well, you you bring up the time factor, man. I think that's that's crucial. That's key. But really, it's got to be the familiarity, you know, aspect too. I mean, you know, people are, are familiar with the men's basketball team. They're familiar with these NBA players. They're familiar with these WNBA players. And it's something that I think that people feel they can handicap better because you feel like okay, we know these guys, and even the foreign players, especially on the men's side. You know, people that bet basketball. They feel like, okay, I got a little bit of edge. But if you're doing some of these other sports, they're going like, hey, I don't watch this ever at all, but yeah, I need to force a little action here. So it makes sense that the handle would be for the premier sports like basketball. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think we're seeing less and less coverage on the non-mainstream Olympic sports, and thus there is no familiarity with these athletes. We're not given an opportunity to know them, get to know them, hear the stories about them ahead of time, and then because... To your point, events are in the middle of the night. Those feel-good stories, they run right before an event starts where you could slide some bets in. No one's watching those at 3.30 in the morning, and thus the wagering isn't coming in directly after. 
You mentioned the fact that they were expecting maybe a little bit more betting on the golf and the tennis. Is one of the reasons that maybe that hasn't been what they're, besides the time change, the fact that it hasn't been the biggest names out there? You know, in the golf, it wasn't like a household name here in the United States. And in tennis, we saw Djokovic not even, you know, he can't get the Golden Slam. He didn't even get the bronze. And Belinda Bencic winning on the women's side, you know, it's not like Osaka or somebody else did that. So even the names that they do know a little bit weren't around in the medal game. Well, that has to have a huge impact on it, Frank, because at the end of the day, if, if you would have had Djokovic in the finals, I think there would have been in the gold medal match for tennis, I think there would have been a lot more interest. It just wasn't there, as we saw Zeverev, the big favorite, win it. But he's not a household name in the U.S., and, and his opponent in the gold medal match certainly wasn't. So I, I think that's played a huge part of it. The athletes themselves, the premier athletes across the world, don't seem to as excited to participate in the Olympics. And when they do, they're not taking it as serious. And here's another thing, too. When we talk about those sports like tennis and golf, it's like those are going to be wagered on and still nowhere close to what we're going to see in the major sports, or the team sports and that sort of thing. But you know when Wimbledon's coming, you get excited about it, the U.S. Open, uh, whether it's golf or, or tennis in that matter, and you know on your calendar you're locked in for that. Nobody, including myself, you know, don't know when the, the, the golf competition or the tennis competition is during this two and a half, three weeks of, of Olympic play, except for Frank, of course. Who's, I, you know, I watch yeah, tennis but, every night on the Olympic okay, channel. <laughs> but you are not the norm. You know what I'm saying? And, de- and you're not even really a better. But you're saying it is impossible because I know people, including myself, say, I didn't know that. I thought, you know, because there's no lead up time. In, in in a regular environment, it's like we know this is going to happen. We prep ourselves for it, and, and we're, we're caught off guard. And then we throw in the factor of 3.30 in the morning, 9.30 in the morning. We have no idea. I mean, no one could even tell me what day the men's 100-meter final is going to be or when, you know, two weeks ago they could say, hey, that uh, gold medal match for golf is going to be on this day at what time. Right, Matt? Yeah, Absolutely. It is hard to prep. I do think they, again, to your point, they've done a bad job in the lead-up. I mean, there just hasn't been this build-up of when the events are going to happen, promoting who's in those events and why people should care. All right, Matthew Holt joins us from uh, U.S. Integrity. Matt, when it comes to these Olympics, and we've talked about some of the team sports in that, is there has there been any interest or is there even betting available on the different track and field events and things like that or because of the time change and because like you mentioned with so many heats and so many other things it's like it's almost impossible to even make lines on it so i'll give the books credit they went out there and and if you look at most of the major books in the country they put odds on almost everything rowing archery track and field all these events have odds, and, and if they don't have it at the book that you play at most, shop around at a couple of books in whatever state you're in. Here in Nevada, there's at least a handful of different books, at least five or six different ones that are offering wagering on almost every single event. So if, the, if you want to wager, the books have taken all the time and effort to put up odds, manage the start times. There just hasn't been the interest from the casual better. 
All right, Matt, let's uh, visit a topic that we, we talked about last week with you, and it was uh, breaking news at the time about the Texas-Oklahoma situation. And now they've officially petitioned to the SEC to join them. They set their letter to Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. Uh, they've said, hey, we're not going to renew our Big 12 TV deal, paving the way for these two powerhouses to go to the SEC. You painted the picture about you know, the conferences that, we, that we're seeing now could really go by the wayside and, and you know, have the big turnaround. What's transpired here in the last week as we're knocking on the door just three weeks away from basically opening weekend of college football? So this year's college football, obviously, it's not going to have the same have any effect this year. These schedules are already set, but I can't wait, TC, for there to be four 16-team super conferences because for the first time, maybe ever, in the history of college football here in the U.S., betters and fans are going to have a very clear picture of whether or not their teams make the playoff. It's going to be simple. Two eight-team divisions in each conference. You win your side. You win your division. You go to the conference championship game. You win the conference championship game. You go to the final four, which is the playoff. It's going to be that simple. It's actually going to be a win-your-way-to-a-championship system, which is what everybody asked for. And for those people who are out there saying, well, you know, what about the Cincinnati's and the Hawaii's? And the, you never gave them a shot anyway. Every time they went undefeated, you didn't put them in any playoffs. You didn't put them in any championship. They were playing for nothing. Those undefeated seasons went nowhere. They were never allowed to play for a championship, unlike in basketball. So it's about time that we just say, hey, call it what it is. There's 68 teams in the country that can compete for a college football championship, and here they are, and they're in four major conferences, and everybody else can play for a separate championship. And it's going to give more betting options because it's going to allow you to bet on the power conference champion and the sub-power conference champion, whatever they decide to call themselves. It's more futures betting. It's more betting in general. It's more interest to college football. Now you could root for Boise or root for Hawaii or root for Cincinnati because they will actually be able to win a championship in whatever division they're in. I can't wait for it to happen. They've been trying to do it for years. It's funny that it was Texas that stalled this out several years ago because when they were about to break up the Big 12 and they were down to eight teams and Texas said, whoa, 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 we make so much money off the Longhorn Network, we don't want to give this up and and go to the SEC or the Pac-12, and they nixed the idea, and now it's Texas leaving that inevitably is going to spell the end to the Big 12. You know, Matt, it's also kind of funny and in a way ironic, too, how, you know, people thought so many teams in the NCAA basketball tournament was too many. Now you take the four power conferences in football with 16 teams each, and it's going to be basically the same numbers as the basketball tournament has. So it's it's almost like the basketball and football are now in sync. Yes, and it's a win-your-way-to-a-title uh, you know, you win your division, then you win your conference championship game, and then you, you win two more games against the champions of other conferences, and you're the champion. So nobody can ever say, hey, this team didn't get a shot to play for the championship. You will win it on the field, and that's all we ever asked for as fans. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some bullet holes uh, into this, this picture here. First of all, we haven't even touched upon, you know, again, you know, the – the tradition and the proximity and, you know, people, 
don't like that. I don't like that. And this is going to really make that even more of a mess. And I guess, like I said, from a betting standpoint, I guess you could say, okay, who cares? You know, but again, there was those traditionalists and there's people in the university system that want to keep those rivalries and keep, you know, the proximity. They don't want to see, you know, a a team that's 2000 miles away in the same conference as, as somebody else. But I don't. Is it really that clear cut, Matt? Because if you're going to have these super conferences, the biggest thing with the NCAA is like, well, we never wanted to expand it past two. Then we're going to go to four, and they still have not said that we're going to go beyond four. And they've always say we don't want to get into playing 14, 15, 16 games. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in this scenario that that you're you're painting here, that it's going to go. Aren't we, aren't we getting into that where you're going to have more games to play, uh, you know, leaking into a later championship game, and not everyone does get a chance to play because those Boise States and Central Floridas, if you were going to include them in these conferences, and then if they beat these teams, I would say they have a fair shot. But they're not going to, you know, be good with like, okay, we're still a D1 team, just like Michigan, but Boise State's D1, Central Florida's D1, Hawaii's D1, but you want to have a D1 championship and we're not even going to get, you know, you're saying we've got to go in a, in a sub-D1? None of that makes any sense. Well, well, it's going to happen, though. And at the end of the day, it's going to be the same amount of games. Because right now, what happens when Alabama wins a championship? That means they played in the big, the SEC championship. That's their 13th game. Then they have to win the two games in the playoff. That's game 14-15. In this system, you know, you'll have two division winners from each conference play each other. So game 13 will be the conference championship. The conference champions, the four conference champions all play games 14 and 15 so i still think the winner is still going to play 15 games just like it is now so the games equation doesn't hold any water because it is what it is it's the same exact number of games that they're going to play now and again for the ucs and boise they should be happy granted it's a sub d1 title they'll be playing for right now they don't have a shot at winning the title even when they go undefeated they're not allowed to participate (laughs) But there's that hope for those guys. There's that hope that they go 12 and 0, and if they schedule and, and if they knock somebody off in non-conference. Now, if we're going to get to this this power formula, what is that going to do? Does this mean the Alabamas and the and the Florida States are they still going to play the Bethune Cookmans? I mean, those guys need the, you know that money, and these guys want their little tune-up games. I just don't see how you're going to expand games without having to cut some of these other games because the NCAA doesn't want us to start in mid-August, and they definitely don't want to play, you know, uh, beyond the, the, the first or second week of December for, you know, regular season games. Yeah, I, I do think the the lower pay-for-play teams, the Bethune-Cookmans, the, the Little Sisters of the Poor, <laughs> they're, they're going to – there could be some collateral damage here. But at the end of the day, look, I, I don't want to see SEC teams playing two of these games a year, two of their three non-conference games. We want to see competitive football games that matter. TV ratings say that's what fans want to see. Betting handle says that's what fans want to see because nobody bets or watches Florida State versus Bethune-Cookman 
or, you know, uh, Alabama versus Colgate. They don't watch those games. They don't bet on those games. It's bad for TV. It's bad for sports books, who, by the way, TV and sports books are sort of becoming symbiotic with each other. So let's have more competitive football games. And if at the end of the day that means that Bethune-Cookman has to find another way to fund their football program, unfortunately that's the reality of it because uh, at the TV no longer wants to pay for Alabama versus Bethune-Cookman. So with the scenario that is now, if all four of these conferences go to 16 teams, how competitive is it for these teams right now that are on the outside looking in to try to get into those conferences that still have openings, and what are the most likely teams going? Oh, boy, I think it's super competitive, Frank, and I think you have a lot of cities. And I'm hearing that there's a lot of schools in major cities making their case now, the Memphises, the Houstons. Hey, look at us, Houston. We're in a top 40 media market. They're making their case. You know, the Iowas, the Kansas, you know, Kansas, everyone thinks about Kansas as a college basketball powerhouse, but they're not exactly a money generator in football. Where do they end up? Do they end up in the Big Ten? Does the Big Ten take a shot because of that basketball tradition? Well, you know, if you're Kansas, you're out there pushing Bill Self, you're pushing the basketball, you're pushing March Madness and its popularity. If you're Houston or one of those programs, you're saying, hey, look what we've done in the AAC, look how competitive we are you know Cincinnati are they a big enough market yeah it's going to be a, it's going to be a beauty competition at the end of the day unfortunately nobody wants to admit it but this is a Miss America pageant to see who gets those last seven remaining spots mm-hmm. all right uh, we can hardly wait to uh, college football this year unchanged but again this will be a big part of the discussion speaking of college football Matt uh, quarterback uh, Quinn Ewers the number two prospect in the 2022 class says he's foregoing his senior high school season. Got to get into pro. Got to be a Buckeye. High school season because he's going <laughs> to enroll at Ohio State. Even though he's committed to go to Texas, hook him horns, he says, nah, I'm out of there. I can make more money on my NIL deal, my name, image, and likeness deal, if I go to Ohio State. Here we go. It's already happening. The trickle-down theory, this kid is saying, eh, I'm not going to play my senior year of high school because I'm enrolling at Ohio State, and he's going to be eligible to play this fall. And he's also, from what I've read, with Ohio State's quarterback crop right now, he will be number one on the depth chart. So he's he wants to go there because he will start immediately, even though he should be a senior in high school. Okay, Matt, fix this problem, please. Would you? Come on. I'm not sure he's going to start this fall. I would actually make him an underdog to do that. Uh, but there's no doubt he will make a tremendous uh, upside by, with the NIL by going to Ohio State. This is part of the NIL sort of backlash that people probably didn't think of when they were putting it into effect. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, yeah, he committed to the Longhorns, and but decommitted you know, back in October and is going to Ohio State as a high schooler. You mean sometimes people actually think these things out before they put stuff in effect and they don't just throw them up there because it doesn't seem that way in a lot of the decisions in the world today. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. That. I don't know that this one was thought out all that clearly, but there was definitely a grassroots push to get these athletes paid, and when you when you push it through this quickly, then it's hard to really realize all the cause and effect issues of it, and here we go. Here's one of them. All right, final thing for you, man. Uh, MLB deadline uh, came and went. A lot of activity. The Chicago Cubs just decided to just uh, 
disassemble their team altogether. Disassemble. Yeah, gone. <laughs> uh, you know, Rizzo's with the Yankees. You know, Baez is over with the Mets. Chris, Chris Bryant. Bryant with the Giants. Did you get to see him? I got to see him. <laughs> he hit his home run yesterday. Craziness. So there you go. What do you make of all this, man? I'll tell you a few teams that people have really started to back heavily after the trade deadline. No, trade deadline number one, the New York Mets. I didn't think Javi Baez was that big of a deal for the Mets, but all of a sudden there's a lot more Mets backers than we saw prior to the deadline. Uh, the L.A. Dodgers, who you know, again they're still tied or basically you know right behind the San Francisco Giants. Yet the trade for Trey Turner and the arms that they got, we are seeing a ton of love for the Dodgers. Not really unexpected there. And another one is the Toronto Blue Jays. Look, that Jose Barrios trade sort of went under the radar with so many big moves that all these other teams made, but we saw a direct cause and effect after the Berrios trade. A lot of money coming in on the Blue Jays at odds of around 35 to 1 or better. You look around now, they're already down to about 20 to 1. Hey, I want to throw this in real quick too because I saw this earlier today and I thought it was a classy move by Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant did give uh, credit to the Cubs organization, said that they went to each individual player asking them where a good fit for them were and would also help out the team, obviously, but that they did go to each individual player trying to make transitions as smooth as possible. I think that's got to bode well for the Cubs down the road as far as players maybe wanting to go there or free agency or something when they try to build a winner again. But nice that Chris Bryant brought that to the forefront and nice to see that the Cubs actually took the players' thoughts into the consent when they were making these moves. The Cubs, and I, I do think you're right, that probably will hold some goodwill in future free agents. Unfortunately, though, they didn't get the prospect hall that many people thought they should. You know, everyone said they should have got Joey Bard. It was on the table and for San Fran for Bryant. They ended up getting two inferior prospects and not getting Bard as part of that deal. I don't know. It, feel, it feels like they were an elite prospect short in a lot of those deals, the Rizzo deal, the Chris Bryant deal, not getting Joey Bart there. Um, I'm glad they piled up some goodwill because they didn't pile up the best prospects. All right, he is Matthew Holt, uh, U.S. Integrity, keeping a, a watchful eye on the betting side, everything side, I should say there. Okay, my man, we'll let you go. We appreciate the time as always, and uh, we look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks, guys. Best of luck. Take care. All right, there it is. And uh, we start to look into these handicapping contests, too, because this is a very popular time of year where people are now starting to enter the football contests, the various casinos. Everybody is uh, jumping in with that now. We have new properties that are up in the ante with more, you know, a pay-for-play type of uh, uh, handicapping tournaments with the large entry fees. So we'll dive in the, with, uh, with Matt next week on that. Yeah, and boy, the football contests, they're just crazy out here. I mean, there's so many of them in that it's hard to even keep up with them all. But, uh, yeah, very competitive in that field. And some are free for people, and there's a zillion people in those. And then some, there's still pretty good numbers for the ones that are pricey as well. And it seems to me that part of that is also almost as much as bragging rights and put it on your resume. But uh, it is very competitive, and then sometimes you have to look at the the names that the people give their different things and try to figure out, well, who the heck is that? Yeah. I don't know. This this whole... Superpower conference thing is, is got me twisted, and again the dominoes are going to fall when you have a Texas or you have an Oklahoma who is leaving a conference a conference that is pretty much been long standing. You know the Big Eight 
There was the Big Eight. There was the Big Twelve. And you know, for those of us that are old enough, we still remember you know Texas being in the Southwest Conference with Arkansas, and that was pretty good. So they've been Longhorn standing. Absolutely correct. <laughs> but it's like you probably really could have made the Southwest Conference work. You could have hung with that in they both football to. and basketball. But you know, it's that was the beginning. That was really the beginning of all this. And then now you're having two big-time programs saying, you know what, we don't like you, we want to go to the SEC. Never in anyone's wildest dreams would you predict a Texas or an Oklahoma going to the Southeastern Conference. And I don't know if this helps them from a basketball perspective. Because from a basketball perspective... The Big 12 is much better than the SEC and has been for quite some time. Do you think that maybe they're thinking, like, well, our basketball programs are even going to be more dominant in the SEC? Maybe they think, hey, football is what drives it. And I know you said two teams, but it seems to me, at least my gut feeling is, it's all been driven by Texas. And Matt even mentioned, Texas kind of held this back because they had this opportunity. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about doing it a while ago. It seems like Oklahoma is just along with, whatever you do, we're with you, we'll be the other one. But it seems like Texas has really kind of held all the cards, and now they're saying, yep, we're ready to make that move. Yeah, they're ready to make the move. Again, they have their own network. I mean, no different, like, say, the Notre Dames you know, deal with NBC. And, you know, the University of Texas built their own network, Longhorn Network. I don't know how profitable it is, and if that's you know done any good. BYU has done the same thing. I don't know how you know how profitable their network is, but it, it's about joining a conference that where you can make more money, have a little bit more exposure, and you're going to get that with football. But when you look at basketball, sure, they'll they'll be a top team in the SEC from basketball, but the TV deal is not that lucrative in basketball. The TV deal for SEC football. It's the biggest, it's the best, it's CBS. You know, every Saturday you're going to get that. And now as this conference expands, now you're having maybe less visibility, you know, for some of these teams. Where before, I mean, forget, you know, Vanderbilt ever having a shot to get on the, the marquee Saturday Vanderbilt afternoon game. Vanderbilt is just along to get that conference paycheck that, every That's year. it. But, the, you know, a lot of these other teams, when, you know, uh, teams like, say, Texas, uh, you know, as far as the SEC goes, I mean, you look at teams like Missouri, they're never going to get, you know, those games, you know, anymore. I mean, it's going to be Alabama, it's going to be Florida, it's going to be Georgia, and now it's going to be Texas and Oklahoma in a couple of years down the road. They're going to dominate that Saturday afternoon time slot. And then, sure, subsidiary-wise, you're going to go to ESPN, and they'll probably have a, a Saturday night game, but it, it's, it's just totally different. But when you go to basketball season, the SEC television deal – with ESPN and their own network, the SEC network, it's really not that lucrative in comparison to what they're getting in football. Well, and you brought up one other team, too, there, and because some of the independents, like a Notre Dame or something like yeah. that, who's in a conference of basketball but not in football, are they still in the mix for this, or is it the four power conferences? Is Notre Dame going to be forced now to join one of the four power conferences to be, the to Big be in Ten this mix. It would have to be the Big Ten. And why they didn't make that move is ridiculous way back when. Because you get everything. You, you get the, the, the trap, or rather the proximity. You get the rivalries. They've already have rivalries with, with, all, with, with Purdue, with Michigan, with Michigan State, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's like every, the, the joke in, in, in uh, Notre Dame every year is like, well, we're the Big Ten champs because we beat all these teams. Right. Outside of Ohio State, they play the best in the Big Ten year in and year out. Right. And I'm curious to see, too, and I don't think this will happen. Maybe with Oklahoma it could do a little bit because I think Texas is a little bit stronger program. 
But when they go to the SEC, will they be as dominant, or will they go, maybe this wasn't a big move? Again, I'm old enough to remember. I remember when Penn State and then Nebraska joined the Big Ten, and it was like, Big Ten's in trouble now. Penn State's going to win every year. How often do they win in football and no. that sort of stuff? You know, no. it's like when you're part of a conference and you can't put two cupcakes before a main course mm-hmm. every time, it's more difficult. And even some of the teams that maybe aren't as good, they might have that little rivalry thing or something against you. I'm curious to mm-hmm. see how they do in that conference. It hasn't worked. For, I mean, we can go right down the gamut. I mean, look at Texas A&M. They wanted to jump over the SEC. They haven't won anything in the SEC. And again, they're they're still far behind. And you look at Texas right now. Texas hasn't been relevant as far as, you know, winning championships for for several years. They've gone to, what, through three coaches in the last, what, what, six, seven years? Vince Young. Right. (laughs) It's true. It's right. So Texas going to SEC, they'll be the fifth best best team. It may be at best, fourth or fifth or sixth best team. So, and A&M still hasn't cracked that. I mean, you're talking about, you know, recruiting, you know, lines and all that sort of thing. And you look at those teams like Maryland and Rutgers going to the Big Ten. It's laughable. Nebraska, that's laughable. I mean, Iowa's been in there forever. Occasionally, they'll be pretty good. But they're not not knocking down the door of, of knocking off Michigan or Ohio State anytime soon. Penn State, perfect example. Like you said, it's like people thought that. No. Basketball, totally forget about it. And football, not so much. Yeah, f- football, they're no. kind of like, okay, if, if you beat Penn State, you can challenge for the conference title. If you don't, then you're not. Yeah. You know, Penn State has been more or less like that stepping stone, like that fighter who's getting title fights or is just one away from it, but he's kind of the bar to see if you're a legitimate right. contender or yeah. not. That's kind of what Penn State, and, and there's been exceptions where they've had better seasons, but for the most part, ever since they moved to the Big Ten, they've been a... Uh, also ran a, a ho-home. Same thing with Colorado and Utah. Yeah, Utah has is, is been decent, but no, they're, they're not winning championships in Colorado. And they, Why'd they make the move? You know, For more money. But as far as winning championships, forget about it. So yeah. it, it, it doesn't work You know, when these teams go it, as good as they are in their own conferences. It's like people talk about, oh, Boise State's going to end up in, in the, the Pac-12. Really? I mean, uh, and th- and that's where, where are they going to be? And that's interesting, too, because the Pac-12 has come out. Now, maybe they'll be forced to change, but they've kind of said, we have no desire or need to expand to 16 teams. Mm-hmm. Well, if everybody else is, and that's kind of the pressure being put on you, are, are we going to yeah. see conferences expanding when they don't want to? It's got to be unified. You know, someone at the top of the, the college football chain has got to say, this is what we're doing, like they do in basketball. And, and then we can have a legitimate conversation. But it's been absurd for quite some time now with the formula of who gets into the playoff, who doesn't, the conference realignments, all that stuff. And now with Texas and Oklahoma jumping to the SEC, it, it's going to get even you know, more weird, more crazy. And I don't think that there is going to be an instant guarantee like, like Matt is, is saying it's going to be. And the other thing that it's going to get is more confusing. Totally. I can't stand it. <laughs> can't stand it. All right, uh, we come back. We'll hit you with some more Olympic news, NFL training camp as well on this Monday. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a half time. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! In the face! The doctor is now in. In. All right, we are smack dab in the middle of NFL training camp. Raiders doing their thing in Henderson. 
Just think, man, a couple weeks away from exhibition football. But at least we only get three of them this year. That's a good thing. All right. 17 games. uh, Still can't get used to that either. What's your record? Everyone's like, hey, we're going to be 12 and 4 this year. Maybe we go 14 and 2. 10 and 6. Hopefully 8 and 8. What? Now we got to start factoring the 17. So do the math. Now we got to be what you want to be. We're going to be an 11 and 6 team this year? Wow. Well, we know one thing for sure. If the Raiders are 500 once again, they're going to have a tie in there. (laughs) The, The term 500 is now eliminated. It's over the top rope. Well, unless you have a tie. You could have a tie. You could be 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. But does that really make you 500? Do it, the, it should. It doesn't. I don't think it does. Because it if should. you do the math, it's not. I'll tell you why. Mathematicians out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but you divide the number of wins by the total amount of games. You're playing 17 games. You're not 500 anymore, my friend. You are less than 500. 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one would be like 478. Help me out here. Come on, calculators. You, you get a half a point for it. Or you get a point for it. You get no points. There are no points. What do you think? Is this soccer? Well, sure you do. Because if you go by the schedule and you go by the... You, you could win the division by that half game. But you don't get a, you don't get a point. Like, well, it's not point it's not like a, a soccer match or something. But it's, no. yeah, but it's, it's still... In, in the standings, it's, it's like a half game. Right. But you're not a 500 team. You agree with that? But a half is, <laughs> is 50%. So that makes you 500. Depends on how you, we're, you know, apples and oranges. You know how they get, five, you know how they get 500? Eight divided by 16. 500. Well, that would be, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, how they calculate and when you see in the, your new, well, the owners ev- newspaper. Well, the owners eventually want to make it 18 anyhow. So, I mean, that's what they're they pushing get there towards. already, all right? Get there, this odd number of games. Well, they're like the Goofball. football championship series. You know, they, they mosey on along. The NFL is supposed to be getting it done, getting it done right. But they, they have to keep on adding games to the NFL or else college football is going to be playing more games than them. How many fans are going to be wearing masks at the football games? Well, there's probably going to, there's, there's, there should be a mandate that every one of them has to. Now, what about an outdoor football game? Right now, it's... Say Lambeau Field, Soldier Field. Well, I, I don't... It, it's state by state and county by county, so I don't know. They, they okay. might, even, even in an indoor arena... The, we didn't see it in the Bucks championship games. Fans didn't have to wear masks. But here in Vegas, they do. It depends on where you're from. So it's not just indoor, outdoor. It's where you're at. What if UNLV goes back to Sam Boyd Stadium to play a game against Louisiana Monroe? Got to wear a mask outside, but then UNLV's got a game next week indoors against Arizona State? What happens? Well, right now there's not a mask I'm, 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 I'm asking you. I'm asking you like you're the governor. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> governor Harnish, tell me what's happening here. Uh, well, my uncle was the mayor uh, of Algonquin, so that's I, close I mean, enough. So. I've been gone a few days. I don't know what's happening here. Uh, there's there's a mask mandate. I'm just getting yelled at because I walk indoors. in the building without my mask. Even I, I'm fully vaccinated. I know I went to Red Rock Station the other day on Friday, and there is a big sign there that says, Mask for Everybody vaccinated and unvaccinated people so not just workers but anybody who's going into the facility as far as i know the mask mandate is for any indoor activities or indoor facilities all right with last week's updated guidance issued from the cdc saying fully vaccinated individuals no longer need to wear masks in most situations the green bay packers have updated the covid 19 protocols for visitors to lambeau field and Titletown. The organization is no longer requiring that masks be worn by visitors who have been fully vaccinated. There you go. Leave it to Wisconsin. The sound of reason. Go, Pat, go. Yeah, the sound of a super spreader. They sound like Christina Madison. There you go.
Yeah. I mean, again, it's you know, it's uh, there's different theories on it all over the place. I still think they're making this stuff up as they go along, and I think that's one of the reasons that there's so much confusion and there's so many people that aren't buying into it because it seems like every week or every other week they're saying masks are good, masks are bad. The CDC says this, the World Health Organization says this, California says this, Wisconsin says this, Las Vegas says this. I mean, it's th- there is no continuity. There's no consistency in any of it. I know. It's absolute insane. Well, you want to wear a mask or not? Well, people used to look up and see what time zone places are in to see where where they're going or whatever. Look up and see what the mask mandate is. I know years ago when I used to ride a motorcycle, sometimes I'd look and see what states had helmet laws and what mm-hmm. states didn't. Because I hated wearing a helmet. Still hate wearing a helmet. Wear a helmet. Protect yourself. Man. Nah, it messes up my hair, man. You Gives know, me helmet hair. Just think, man. If you were if you were wearing the helmet while you were driving your your car, you wouldn't have been in the accident. If I was wearing my helmet in my car, first off, I'd look like a dork, and my head probably wouldn't even have fit. It would have been up against the roof. I, I'm I'm not you know speed racer or something. I'm not going to wear a helmet in my car. Go speed racer. <laughs> go speed racer. Go. With his brother, <laughs> Rex Racer. Yeah, Rex Racer. His older brother, who left home early because Pops. Yeah. Well, he wanted to be a race car driver, too, and Pops didn't want him to. What was the guy with the mask, who the big competitor was? What was that guy's name? He had, he had a mask on, remember? He'd drive around wearing a mask. Well, that was Rex Racer. That was uh, oh, well, that was his no. older brother, but the I don't know. He was always his... They had a guy, right? Yeah. He's a bigger guy. I always thought it was weird with Spritel and Chim Chim and all that stuff. It's like, I don't know. Chim Chim could change a tire, couldn't he? I think so. <laughs> I haven't seen it for a while. MTV used to show. You know, MTV's 40 years old now. Happy birthday, MTV. Wow. This is, this is a great show. Fantastic. It was a fun show. Yeah. Except, if, if you notice, you go back with a lot of these shows, especially this one, the actors, they would talk like this. He's busy revving up his powerful Mach 5. Even though it's a cartoon. <laughs> Will you give me the record scratch on this one? Here comes the good part, though, honey. Here it comes! Go speed racer! Go speed racer! Go! Okay, that's enough. Yeah, yeah that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a little it was bit too more. long. It, it's too long, and I thought I, I thought there was a better version of it than that. I didn't like that one. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was just wimpier than I remembered it, or something like. that. I was out at uh, dinner with my my niece last night, and. Uh, for some reason, we got talking about music and everything. And just out of the blue, she comes back with, and I think we had this discussion last week. She goes, yeah, you know, I've been buying you know, some new songs you know, for my phone here and this and that. And, uh, I went and I got Welcome Back, Cotter. And, and I go, I go what? I, I, that's what I said. I go, what? I go, do you even know who sings that song? She goes, yeah. She goes, John Sebastian. And I go, I go, why are you buying that? She goes, I don't know. Just thought about it and this and that. And now she's on this TV situation, this and that. So I look at her phone. So TV theme songs? TV theme song. So she's got Welcome Back Cotter going, right? And, and and so she she stepped up to, to, to go get some food. So I'm scrolling through her phone, and when she comes back, you know what I did. I said, oh, you got, I said, well, go, here's the real song. So, of course, you know you know what I picked. She had the monsters on there. Oh, well, there you so go. So I said, get right. So I just immediately clicked off of this song and went right to Herman and Grandpa. Absolutely. And next thing she comes back and she goes, yeah, I think I know this one, too. It's like, it's on your phone. It's the greatest of all time. There it is. See, now, you know what? I, I, 
I just kind of learned something. Yeah. I didn't realize that John Sebastian did Welcome Back, Cotter. I, I know him from The Loving Spoonful, but I didn't know that he did Welcome See? Back, Cotter. See? You learn on the show. You I always thought that me. was such a cheesy show. Cotter? Yeah. Uh, the song was kind of cheesy, too, but I can understand where the people think hogs. it's pretty cool and it's you know got a little meaning hey, to Vinnie it. Hey, Vinny Barbarino. Yeah. yeah. Freddie Boom Boom Washington. <laughs> the cast was pretty darn good. Horshack. Horshack, yeah. That was good. Yeah, that was good stuff. I mean, it, it, it has moments in that, but, you know. But oh. it was cheesy. Yeah. All right. Don't, don't ask me why we went here. I, yeah, yeah, we veered off. No, no doubt. We went, well, it was also cheesy was, to me because there was a teacher that I had in high school that thought he was Mr. Cotter. And he had his own little group of sweat hogs, and I just despised him for it. Yeah. But I'll tell you what. Don't forget, uh, Mr. Gabe Kaplan, he was an awesome basketball coach in that basketball movie. Yes. Yes. Whatever it was called that I remember, you know, the whatever it was. I used to know this and I can't believe I, I, I dropped. I dropped. But and don't forget Swish. Mavis, Mavis Washington, who is a, a great basketball player. I believe UCLA. Yeah, she was in the movie dressed up as a, as a boy playing for Gabe Cotter's team. There oh, yeah. Is. Didn't they have to like tape up her have top ta- or something taped like up her that? Breasts. To- Absolutely. Yeah. Playing in this in this uh, old worn down gym. Yeah. Gabe Kaplan as your basketball coach. Yeah. Give me that name of that movie. It's a great movie. Fast Enjoy. Break. Fast Break. I knew it. I started to say that. Yeah. There it is. That was also kind of a cheesy movie. But <laughs> no, the most stuff he did was kind of cheesy. But he made a nice living off it. Carson Wentz to have surgery on his foot. You like that transition? Just no segue. <laughs> Just go right to it. <laughs> Expected to miss 5 to 12 weeks. Frank Reich uh, talked about this injury. Numchuck, you got Frank Reich sound? Sure he does. Carson Here. had an old foot injury. Probably a high school injury that was a broken foot sometime in high school that he did not know was broken. And then what happened the other day was, in the course of practice, over time, whatever the years, something happens, just the right pressure at the right time, the right movement, all of a sudden that little broken bone that was in there that was lodged in it comes loose. That's loose. It causes, as everybody knows, a lot of pain and aggravation. So then the next couple days were discussion over, well, we can leave it in there, and we can leave it in there, try to manage it, see how if it holds up during the year and take our chances there, but we wanted what was the most predictable outcome. And, uh, you know, we wanted the most predictable outcome. You know, talking to Chris, you know, Chris obviously, like always, brings great leadership in these processes. This is a long-term vision. So, you know, it was like, hey, what's the most predictable outcome? Let's get the peace out of there. Let's get the peace out of there, begin the rehab process, and and think the long haul. Now, the good news is, um, you know, I was going to say, hey, there's – you're going to ask, well, what's the time frame? And, you know, the easy answer is there's no, there's no, we're not going to put a time frame on it right now. We're just going to see how it goes. But, you know, all you got to do is just ask the doctors what the time frame are. So we, we asked the two best doctors in the world, what's the time frame? And here's the answer. The answer is the time frame is five to 12 weeks. All right, and again, that's a big range, five to 12 weeks. And their first five games are pretty tough. Play the Raiders, I believe, in week number two. Uh, they don't have a decent backup. Uh, this is big-time trouble. How about this? Going back to high school, this bone is in there, and it's floating around. Craziness. Well, how about this, too? How did they determine that it went all the way back to high school? Yeah. So did they, they know think. that there was they something? Think. But that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's yeah. like that's a – we're talking 5 to 12, 12 weeks is a big – all the, all the physicals, all the x-rays, all right. the things he went over his entire career from college to the pros and everything – and now they think this goes back to high school. What leads into that determination? I think probably conversation with Wentz by saying, you know, when was well, I had an injury in high school and this and that. And we thought that it was, you know, it was okay. And then I, you know, it came up again at North Dakota State. I think I think they're just kind of going by him, and they go back to his 
medical records. So is saying, it bothered yeah. him throughout his life here and there? Does it flare up? Then it goes away? Then, I mean, it's like, yeah. it's it's kind of a strange situation. Yeah, totally. And so more to come on this. Carson Wentz to have surgery on his foot. Who knows? Five to 12 weeks. Uh, he was playing with this. And in a practice the other day, he said, you know, this is really bothering me. And a particle, a part of the broken bone that was lodged in there came loose. And that, that caused a lot of pain. Yeah, the, the Indian feet can hurt. Yeah, in, in the Indianapolis Colts, man. I mean, here you go. You get this guy. You got probably the best offensive line in football. Yeah, they're 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 in a little bit of trouble right now. Maybe somebody needs to come over to retirement for him. Oh, uh, I want to thank Brett Rapkin, the director of The Weight of Gold, that is uh, streaming on HBO Max right now. An amazing documentary. Go check it out. It talks about depression. A look at mental illness. Michael Phelps, Jeremy Bloom, Lolo Jones, Apollo Ono, Bodie Miller. All of those guys featured in in that. Appreciate him joining us today, as well as Matt Holt from U.S. Integrity. Tomorrow we're back at it. Terrible Tuesday stuff. Plenty to talk about. And we dive more into the Olympics. We'll see what the men and the women can do. And they've got games, you know, coming up uh, tomorrow. And I do have an Olympic Terrible Tuesday about a review that was absolutely atrocious. Love it. For Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. Go to the website. Check it all out. TCMartinShow.com.